0: So let me ask, like, if, if the primary was tomorrow for you, how would you cast your ballot? Well, I don't have to vote till March 17th, so I have <laughs> time to sort this out.
1: I really don't know. I really don't know yet.
0: This is Breaking News. Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg. As the race for the White House kicks into high gear, we've discovered that most rare of things. A swing voter who is still very much undecided.
2: My name is Anthony. I am a high school math teacher.
0: And how old are you, Anthony?
2: I am 25 years old.
0: Okay. Tell me your voting history. Who
2: who did you vote for in,
0: say, 2016?
2: Okay. So I did not vote in 2016. Okay. Much too, yes, I know. It's one of those, like, you know, shame on you for not voting. Um, but it was partially a conscious choice just because... South Park put it well um, you know in, in sort of the, the choice that I felt was I didn't really like either candidate. And prior to 2016 so prior there to was 2016, one cycle yes.
0: Uh, who did you vote for in the last presidential in, election?
2: In that pre- uh, presidential election, I voted for Mitt Romney. Okay. and I know uh, many of my students will be shocked that uh, that, that I I didn't vote for Obama. Um, Why is that? Tell me about that. Um, m- so my school is, I think 99% black. There, There's some, some Latinx students as well, uh, but given that I'm living in New York City, I think they just sort of assume that I am not uh, Republican. And and <laughs> there's an example last year, after Trump's uh, State of the Union, I was watching it the next day, um, and uh, I went to go put my, my slides up on the board, and it, I hadn't switched over to the slides yet, and they saw just the, the, the video of Trump, and they're like, oh! <gasps> You, I knew it. You're racist. You voted for Trump. And I was like, whoa, hold on. I'm just watching the State of the Union. <laughs> Anthony says politics doesn't come up a lot in his math class. But when it does... Ultimately, I want them to think critically on it themselves. So if they're saying, you know, oh, why are you watching the State of the Union? I'll, I'll say, well, why didn't you? I mean, don't you want to know what the president is saying? You know, if, if you're going to not like him, What's an alternative solution to this thing that he's proposing? Like, asking questions that get them to think more about where their views are. Recently,
0: Anthony's been asking many of these same questions himself. He's now officially registered as an independent. And he's still not sure who to vote for in the 2020 election. Should he consider ideology or electability when he's casting his ballot? Should he follow his head or his heart? Maybe you're in the same boat. They're watching the debates and you're wondering, what's the right choice to make? To try and narrow it down, we're bringing in the big guns. Two veteran political advisors, one from each party, David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Can their advice help Anthony and and all of us make sure our vote counts this November? Stay with us. Welcome back to The Lead. More now in our politics lead. If you watch cable news at all, you're probably familiar with all the pundits trying hard to sound smart, but most often just trying to fill time because they don't have anything new to say. Which is why I'm so appreciative when I see our two experts today pop up on TV. Because they usually do know what they're talking Tonight about. Tonight is our friend Mike Murphy, veteran GOP strategist, longtime the advisor to qualified people. people in the country to answer that question. David Axelrod, the former
2: chief strategist for Barack Obama's presidential campaign. David
0: and, and I think most people know you popularly as the guy who got Obama elected president of the United States. Is, is that fair?
1: Well, it is flattering. There were a lot of people involved and I, I give the president some credit for it, too. Uh,
0: th- that's it. That seems fair.
1: Murphy, you there? Hello,
0: I'm here. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for taking some time. Hello, Charles. So let me introduce you guys to Anthony. Hello, my name's Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Hi there. The reason why um, we we were hoping you guys would visit with Anthony is that Anthony had sort of written to us with a very specific problem.
2: Yeah, so I reached out uh, with the question of how to vote with a conscience. Um, And what really drove my question was that I am a... Catholic, so a lot of my uh, views are informed by Catholic social teaching. But I also am an Eagle Scout, so I care very deeply about the environment. Um, And I'm a teacher, so I care a lot about education. And I felt like it was hard to find um, a political party, let alone an individual candidate, who could meet all the criteria that I was looking for. And that it felt to vote in support of one thing would sort of betray my morals in another area?
1: Well, first of all, listening to Anthony's uh, recitation of his background, perhaps he should be running this year. He <laughs> seems like a pretty pretty wholesome guy. Um, this head-heart kind of disparity is in many ways a fiction, in my view, because I th- what I find is that people tend to want to vote for a candidate, and the kind of head Uh, calculations, which usually go to electability and qualities like that, get rationalized. Bernie Sanders, for example, looks a lot more electable today than he did a month ago to those who are supporting him. I mean, I'm a romantic about these things. I would like to vote for candidates, and I liked to work for candidates who I admired and whose values I appreciated and who I felt uh, some sort of uh, connection but uh, let's turn to the hard-headed, cynical Mike Murphy and see what he has to say. <laughs>
3: uh, well, Anthony, I uh, I agree with my friend Axelrod. You'd, you'd make a strong candidate. I, I would say that as far as figuring out kind of where your heart is, only you can know that. I, I think maybe the best trick to meet halfway is to think about all the issues uh, that the Congress could take up next year and if, if you serve there. Which would be the most important single vote you think you would cast and kind of work backward from where you think a candidate might land on that particular issue? Um, Most elections in the presidential race are referendum on the incumbent. The question one is, do you keep them or fire them? And then if you fire them, you know, who do you replace them with? So you've got to make that decision because that is the biggest input of your vote. Now, you do have the same problem in New York that I, a fellow former Romney voter, have here in the blue state of California which is the electoral college is arranged in a way that is pretty much a predetermined outcome of who will win. Now, that that means you should still vote, but your vote may not be as critical as your, you know, uh, your cousins living in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania or Florida. So the other way you can affect an election beyond your vote, which is very important and everybody should vote, is you might be able to influence people in places where the vote really counts.
0: So let me ask a question. I imagine at some point in your careers, you've been looking at at a field, and and before it's clear who's going to be the front runner, you have to make a decision. Do I jump on the campaign of this person or that person? How do you make that choice? But well, I had 150 clients
1: over time, and you know, not all of them would I nominate for Nobel prizes. You know, some of them were people who I came to regret working for. Some campaigns I left. Um, but in 2002, you know, I got a call from this young state senator who had lost a congressional race two years earlier by 30 points. He was broke. He was an African-American guy, and he wanted to run for the United States Senate. Uh, he was named Barack Hussein Obama. It was one year after the uh, World Trade Center catastrophe. All of that you know, worked against the idea that he could win. But what worked for it was just his qualities. He was an exemplary legislator. His values were good. His issues were issues that I cared about. And so I decided, even though I had offers from other candidates, decided to go with Obama. And he ended up winning going away because those things, those same things that appealed to me, it turned out appealed to uh, a lot of other people. And so, you know, there were head considerations, but heart
0: considerations as well in making that decision. Mike, let me ask you, because you have been steadfast in criticizing President Trump. And I imagine the much more savvy thing to have done would have been to have either toned down your criticism or or sat on the sidelines. Or or once it became clear that he was going to get elected to there's, – there's certainly other folks who have gone from never-Trumpers to ingratiating themselves a little bit. Like, why, why not do that? You're, I mean, you're a professional. I don't think anyone would bemoan you doing the professional thing. With the guy who's now oh, running the entire party. I'm
3: also well. I appreciate. It. I'm also Irish and stubborn. But you're right. Yeah, our firm <laughs> used to have 20 people. Now we have a lot fewer. My accountant keeps trying to show me how many million dollars it costs not to uh, get on the lucrative uh, presidential incumbency uh, payola, particularly in the Trump world where it's very commercially. High. But it was an easy decision for me. I mean, when you start in this business, to to kind of get to the the main thrust of the uh, discussion about, you know, head versus heart, you're like a young doctor. You just want to operate. You know, who's the candidate? What is, what is he running for? Any money for TD? How long they've been out of prison? Okay, great. But in the presidential stuff, I was always for long shots. So I thought we'd be the best president and we generally lost. Uh, I was with John McCain in 2000, which was tricky for me because Jeb Bush and I are very close. I'd done both of his gubernatorial races. I'd worked for his father, uh, George H.W. Bush so I, I had a certain connection to the Bush family, yet there I was primary him. You know, I don't regret those decisions because the presidency is important. And I think David would agree with this, that the thing about if you have success in a political career where you eventually start having some influence, there's always a mercenary aspect to it. But at the end of it, you want to look in the mirror and review a few decisions. And the decision on Trump, I don't think is hard. I think it's really easy. I don't think he believes in the rule of law. I think he's unfit. So... I don't think there was another decision, and the most heartbreaking thing of the Trump era is not then whatever you know I did to blow up what was left of my career. It's more how how few people have taken a stand on something that to me is very black and white.
0: So Anthony, let me ask you: We're as you're we're having this conversation right before Nevada and South Carolina Super Tuesday's coming up. What are you considering right now? Is is Trump someone you think you might eventually support? Are you where where are you? Um,
2: I'm definitely not supporting Trump at this time. Okay. Um, I think there's other people that would represent America on the world stage a lot better, who would uh, further the causes I, I care about better. Um, and uh, yeah, right now, not supporting him. So who who
0: are you like when you look at this field? Mm-hmm. Who are you conflicted over? Like, who do you like and, and
2: where's the conflict for you? So th- that's that's a great question. Um, I was leaning towards Biden for, for a while. Um, he's Catholic, but he's also very moderate. And someone who's raised in a Republican family, um, he was definitely more uh, attractive to me. However, in the last week or so, I've actually come to see a lot of positives in Amy Klobuchar. Uh, She said something along the lines of that the Democratic Party should be an umbrella for everyone. And um, in particular, she mentioned people who are Pro life and want to be represented in the Democratic Party in some way, and that they shouldn't, as a party, turn people away just because they disagree on this particular issue. And that was something I liked. Can I ask a question? If this thing comes to New York, by the time it gets to New York and the
1: choices between, let's just say, Michael Bloomberg and uh, Bernie
2: Sanders, neither of whom you mentioned, mm-hmm. would you have a preference in that contest? Um, I I don't think I know enough about Bloomberg yet, but between the two, I would have to say Bloomberg just because as much as I like Bernie Sanders' idealism, I just don't think a lot of his plan is feasible.
3: I I went to a podcast and a focus group broke out. (laughs) This was good. Yeah.
2: So let's take it one step
1: further um, and say it was uh, Sanders versus Trump, would that open up the possibility of you voting
2: for Trump, or would you be comfortable voting for Sanders? I would be comfortable voting for Sanders. And, and I know one of, one of the issues that really draws this divide for me is the pro-life issues. But I think Sanders' primary uh, goals are not related to, to abortion. It seems what's more important to him is, is health care, economics. And those are things that I can, I can definitely get behind. Now he just has to figure out which specific candidate to get behind. When we come back, David and Mike will guide us through
0: a few concrete steps on how to do just that. We're back with political strategists David Axelrod and Mike Murphy and our swing voter, Anthony. Okay, so I'm going to go through uh, each candidate. Mm. Just give me, like, your gut reaction real fast, like a lightning round, okay? Okay. okay so Biden. <laughs> Sleepy.
2: <laughs> Buttigieg. Inexperienced. Okay. Sanders? Uh, genuine, but um, but radical. Warren? Uh, I don't know. I just don't like her that much. Okay. Yeah. Klobuchar? I want to see more. Okay. Uh, uh, Bloomberg? I'm confident in his economics. I don't know enough about anything else. And then Trump. He scares me.
3: I'm hearing the dilemma of a lot of right of center voters who know that Trump is unfit, yet yeah, they're ideologically uncomfortable with some of the things the various Democrats have uh, been talking about because the center of gravity in their party has been pulling left. We're, we're about to have this big fight between. Bernie and somebody. And, you know, we're in the process now of figuring out who that somebody is, be it Bloomberg or Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar or whomever. Um, So that's the tension now. And, you know, that is a great opportunity, I think, for the eventual Democratic nominee, which is to send a little bit of a welcoming signal to voters like Anthony, who are not ready for the revolution, so to speak, but know there's a Trump problem to get rid of it.
1: You know, one thing that the past decade should have taught us is is a little bit of humility in making these summary political judgments. One of them is that, you know, Bernie Sanders would be an abject disaster and couldn't win. I think that's an open question, honestly. The one thing that I think uh, people in politics do too little is listen. Mike joked about turning the podcast into a focus group, but people can be counterintuitive. So it's important to approach this with an open mind and try and understand how people are making their judgments.
0: And this kind of raises this question that I was wondering, which is, you know, both of you said, you know, you, you, you shouldn't have this. It's a false dichotomy to say, follow your brain versus follow your heart. That in some ways you should like just... Listen to to what matters to you and follow that path. But for so many of us, we don't actually know what matters to us, right? What advice do you have for people who are trying to figure out, like, how do I prioritize these things?
3: Well, it's hard because with each candidate, particularly for president, you kind of get a salad of things. Which is certain issues they're very focused on; other issues they sort of have to be, you know, allegiance to based on the reality of the party. People are are more complex than. Simple liberal conservative, you know. I always say, just imagine you're a congressman. What would be the most important single vote or piece of legislation you'd try to support if you had two years there? The other thing, what a lot of people do, voters, it's normal human psychology, is they just decide who sees the world the kind of the way what they would, because you're really voting for a proxy to make the decisions you're not going to make because you're not there. So what is their life experience, their character, their passion, their family? their experience. You just kind of sum it all up and say, all right, that's somebody I'm comfortable with representing me making those decisions behind the big desk.
0: So here's our first technique for choosing a candidate. To figure out what matters the most to you, think of yourself as a newly elected representative to Congress. What's the single most important issue that you want to take up? If you can only cast one vote, what's it going to be on? That will put things into stark relief pretty quickly.
1: I mean I th- I think it isn't just an equation uh, about issues. It's also what Mike says, it's 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 worldview and culture, whether you feel comfortable with a person you're voting for and the character of that person
0: to do the right thing. So let me let me let me challenge this a little bit because I hear what you guys are saying and it makes a ton of sense to me. But let's say just from my perspective, and, and let me just preface this by saying I am not a fan of Donald Trump. I, I, I'm registered as a Democrat, and yet under Donald Trump, my life has actually been pretty good. To be honest, like the news media is doing pretty well, stock market's gone up. I haven't, I haven't been at the border, luckily. I, and and I look at someone like Bernie Sanders, and I think to myself, Bernie Sanders, although he's not someone I would I would choose as my candidate, but if he was in the general, he's someone who who agrees a lot more with my values than Donald Trump does. But he actually presents a real risk, I think, to my life. Like, he's going to tax me and the people in New York a lot. He he could take away my health care. How should I parse through choosing a president based on character versus choosing a president based on my own self-interest? Because I, I should have the right to vote in my own self-interest, right? Even if it's for someone who I hate. No, no, Charles, I don't think you should have that right.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We're going to tell you how to vote. The issue with Trump, the great challenge of the Trump era – especially for center and center-right people who care about the economy and, as you say, their, their personal lives and how they're doing economically, is what is the moral tariff you are willing to pay for that? You know, if, if you're a computer and, and you're, you're designed to pick your voting challenge purely on economic growth, then the, the, the machine, without feeling or moral compass, just beeps and says, Trump has done well. But if you think about, and David brought this up earlier, character in office, who makes the right decision, and other intangibles like competence and the risk of incompetence, which could be catastrophic down the line in a foreign policy crisis, you just have to decide how big of a price are you willing to pay for some economic results. And that's a moral question that, you know, people have to look within and, and
0: decide. This is the next thing to think about. When you're trying to look beyond the issues, at some point, you have to judge a candidate's character. And sometimes that means calculating the moral tariff you're willing to pay. Because if you don't do that in advance, you might be surprised by the costs down the road. So I think that there's probably a a number of Republicans out there who say, look, I did vote for Trump, and I didn't vote for Trump just because I'm rich and I want him to cut my taxes— I voted for him because even though I think he's personally distasteful, I actually think the moral thing to do is to vote for this guy because he puts the judges that I want on the bench. He upholds the values, even if he doesn't live by those values, he at least talks about those values.
3: I hear it all the time. It's basically, um, it's a low tax of personal disgust. I, I pay for policy victories. No, the vast majority of Republican voters are right now paying that tax without too much complaint.
0: So what would you say, like, do you think those people are making the right calculation? I would say they're not, but, you know, it's a free country. So let me ask, so Anthony, like, if you were in Congress, what's the one thing that would matter more than anything else to you? You could cast one vote in Congress.
2: Yeah, I think uh, if I had to pick one, uh, one issue, it would have to be um, the environment um, in, in terms of uh, the the government stepping in and, and taking more control over what large companies and corporations are are able to do in terms of uh, pollution and all that. other. So let me
0: ask you, Mike and and David. So if 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 Anthony's decided the environment's his issue, that's going to guide most of his vote. How much time does he have to spend actually investigating Biden versus Klobuchar versus everyone else on the environment question? Because the truth of the matter is, if I go to their websites, they all love the environment.
3: But I think you also have to do a second level analysis, which is who seems to have a plan to achieve it politically? I, I think Buttigieg deserves some credit here. I've seen his his argument about how to kind of go about this, and it it's it's well thought out and very credible. So you you don't only have to pick what their goal is, but who has the best chance of achieving it in your view.
1: Well, and the the other piece of uh, information that's important is not just what they say they will do, but how big a priority has it been for them in the past? If the climate change issue is new and, uh, and they haven't done anything around the issue in the past, that seems to me an
0: important indicator. So the next tactic to help winnow your choices is to take a deeper look at candidates' policy plans. Then, Look to see if they've actually worked on those issues that are important to you in the past. Let me ask Anthony, what do you think of Buttigieg?
2: Yeah, my—honestly, my main concern with him is just that uh, he doesn't have the experience that, that, uh, you know, granted he was a mayor, but I feel like there's a big difference between being a mayor in Indiana and being president. Okay. So this is a great question, right? Because, and this was
0: actually something that was raised about Barack Obama at various times, right? He'd only served one term in the Senate. How do you guys think someone should analyze experience? How important is having been a governor versus being a senator versus uh, being a businessman who comes out of nowhere versus being a mayor? Yeah, it used to be a lot more important. I, I mean, look, I, I am
1: hopelessly biased on this question. And yet, One of the virtues of campaigns is that you do get to see how people handle all kinds of different pressure and all kinds of complex issues. And paying attention to campaigns is really an important part of this. Obama proved himself... Uh, From the beginning of that campaign, when people were saying the things about him that Anthony is saying about Buttigieg, he proved himself uh, through the campaign, 50 primaries against an array of opponents, dealing with all kinds of challenges. And by the end of it, these things uh, were signals to voters that, yeah, I think he's up to this. And so campaigns matter in judging
0: how people might function as a president. Here's another important rule. Pay attention to how candidates run their campaigns. It might tell you how they're going to run the country.
3: I would not be looking for risk. Um, I, would, I would not be looking for revolution. I would not be looking to nominate a candidate that Trump can make the election about because that increases risk and that deters from the overall mission of letting the country do what I think it wants to do, which is fire Donald Trump. So I might be a little timid, which means I would be looking at uh, candidates who are unlikely to be easily turned into scary monsters. In other words, I wouldn't be for Bernie Sanders, though I agree with David. When the country is mad at the system, it elects Republicans like Trump and Democrats like Sanders. So I'd be I'd be trying to back down from that kind of horrible standoff and 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 go with a little tamer, more centrist Democrat, be it an Amy, a Peter, a Bloomberg.
0: So let's say let's say we make it through the primary and let's say we got Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders. Is it moral for me to just stay home?
1: Well, it's certainly an option in our democracy to do that. We saw people do that in 2016. The reason Donald Trump is president is because of low turnout in some key areas. Um, The reality is one of them is going to be president of the United States. And if you believe that the president of the United States is significant in terms of the impact on the life of the country, the life of the world, and your own, then it would behoove you to make a decision one way or the other.
2: Um, I, actually, my, my last question is, uh, what's your opinion on on independence, voting Voting for someone who's not in one of the two parties?
1: I think that you want to vote for one of the candidates who is actually in contention for the presidency. You know, Given the gravity of the times, I think a symbolic vote is a wasted vote. Uh, Anthony, you got to suck it up, evaluate these candidates and cast a vote for one or the other in hopes that that person will become president.
0: Here's our last rule. It might be hard to do, but on Election Day, think of all those people who have fought for years so that you have the right to vote. And then review your options, think about everything you've heard, and go into the voting place and pull the lever for your favorite candidate, or at least the person you
2: dislike the least. That's what America is all about. So uh, the question I had was, how to vote with a conscience. And I think uh, in particular that really the sort of, the term that stuck out was that idea of moral tariff. That, you know, ultimately you're not gonna find someone who is uh, perfectly in line with the views that you hold. And that to vote for anybody who's not perfectly in line is to accept some moral tariff. You need to make a decision, but that decision needs to be one that you're gonna be comfortable making. You know, sort of, can you sleep at night based on the choice that you make? And
0: so, with all these primaries coming up, hopefully we'll all make the right choice, right for us, and for the country.
2: A week after we had this conversation, Anthony sent us this voice memo. Hello, it's Anthony, just giving you my update. After everything I've seen after the Nevada caucus, as well as the debate last week, I am leaning a little more towards Pete Buttigieg And that's with me taking into account the environmental policies as well. I think it's realistic, but well-rounded. As always, that's just how I'm leaning now. I mean, there's, there's a lot of time to go before I have to make a final decision in the fall. So candidates,
0: there's still time to grab Anthony's vote. Thank you to Anthony for letting us into the voting booth with him. And to our veteran political prognosticators, David Axelrod and Mike Murphy, Make sure to check out their joint podcast, Hacks on Tap, and David's The Axe Files from CNN. Also, if you want to keep up with the twists and turns of the race for 2020, make sure to sign up for Slate's weekly campaign newsletter, The Surge. It's a smart and funny recap of who's up and who's down and why it matters. To sign up, go to slate.com slash the surge. Do you have a quandary that needs a creative solution? Send us a note at at slate.com and we'll do what we can to help. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen is our production assistant and Merit Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts and Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Special thanks to Asha Saluja and Sung Park. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to vote.